I've had hundreds and hundreds of responses of, to email, to Facebook, on my question, what do you wish you'd known before you got married? And then I sent some texts out to some of our young folks asking them to tell me what they would like to know before they got married. I put a few, can you put them up on the screen for me, a few quotes that came in. Uh, this came from one of the men in our church. I would have liked to know that after it got bad, it got so much better than I could have ever imagined. I'm glad we stuck around to find out. How many of you can say amen to that? That's great. You can't clap after everyone. I got 12 points plus Becky's coming up here, okay? So, all right. Listen more, talk less. There are things that should kept, be kept only between a husband and wife. And everybody said, amen. Next one. How great marriage is. Next one. Don't cancel your wedding night hotel reservation. There's more to this story. So I found out. They spent their wedding night in a rest area parking lots because they thought they weren't going to leave, but they decided to leave anyway. So I said, stop. I don't want to know anymore. Here's some that are not on the screen. One was how babies were made. I didn't do that premarital counseling. You must have done that one, Pastor Rick. Because when you leave my office, I, you're going to know. Next one. <laughs> Put it up there. That although two can live as cheaply as one, it's only for half as long. <laughs> Next one. Don't ask your wife where she wants to go eat. That's a smart man right there. I was always told the man was the head of the house, but I was never told the woman was the neck. The neck always turns the head. <laughs> this next one came from an um, Episcopal bishop friend of mine, a spirit-filled guy, great guy. We've known each other and been friends for years. He said, it wouldn't have mattered. No one listens. <laughs> you know, and sometimes as pastors, we feel that way. Um, next one. This is great. This is from a friend of mine that lost his wife just recently. Daily cherish the wonderful person that God has given you because one day they may be gone and leave you missing them terribly. It's nearly impossible to believe until it happens, but you won't spend so much time thinking about how you could have been better to them along the way. Boy, that's wisdom that comes from pain right there. Next one. Prioritize one another over the kids even when it's hard. Next one. I wish somebody had told me that my wife had no money. <laughs> Next one. This is from somebody that moved away. How much I would miss my family. Next one. About men. They want your world to revolve around them. Duh. <laughs> Can I get a witness on that? Let me just share a few others with you here. One, from a man in our church, how much less sex we would have than I thought we would have. <laughs> I'm praying for you, brother. I share your pain. <laughs> okay, time to go.
You can't go into her closet and throw out purses and shoes without telling her. Mmm. <laughs> That's dumb. <laughs> Even I knew that. <laughs> I've had so much fun with this this week. It's nice to be sick and be getting stuff like this to make you laugh. I wish that I knew my marriage would cause sleep deprivation. My husband snores louder than a pack of bulldogs and sounds like Darth Vader. <laughs> oh, better time management and communication skills. There's so many, many more. I had one man write me this week and he says, I wish I'd known how important dark chocolate was. This came from another newlywed. He said, I guess that the first year would be hard, but it gets easier. And also that you have to learn to budget your money when it's tight, because if not, you're going to argue about that quite a bit. I had another young man text me this week, and I just couldn't put them all up there, but just some I thought were so important that you hear. Hey, Pastor, I'm sorry for the late response, but the most important thing I'd want to know before getting married is how to deal with firm disagreements with your spouse. Boy, that's an important one, isn't it? That's a smart, savvy young man right there. So many more. This one came from a friend of mine that is, uh, was Rosalind Carter, President Carter's Secret Service guard. Went with her everywhere he went, and Chuck wrote me and says, how great marriage is. Then this came from another, from a friend of mine that is a psychology professor <clears throat> at a university down south, state university. As a matter of fact, just a very wise man. He said, the better question is, what did someone tell me before I got married that I wish I had listened to? And that's a pretty savvy response right there. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about getting married. I want to talk to you about what it means and things that you ought to know. But it's things that I believe that if you're married, it will help you as well in being married. I believe that it's things that, because I'm always, I'm not a, an optimist believes without any reason that things are going to get better. Faith says things are going to get better because Jesus is Lord. There's a big difference. An optimist, and I like optimists, don't get me wrong, an optimist just doesn't have to have a reason to believe. They just believe things are going to get better, and they have a very positive mindset. But as a learned extrovert, what I have learned simply is this, that if you will live and abide in God's promises, things are going to get better because God always honors his word and he honors those that put him first in their lives. Can you say amen to that? So if you would, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to read you one verse of scripture. And like I said, there's 12 points, so I won't be able to deal a lot on each point. There's a couple I'm going to deal with, more than a couple that I'm going to deal with. And then I'm going to invite Becky up and she's going to help me close this message this morning. But this is what I would say to every couple wanting to get married. 
Jesus laid his right hand on me. This is John speaking on the island of Patmos. And by the way, Wednesday night, I'll be beginning a, a series, brand new series on the book of Revelation. Jesus laid his right hand on me and says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. In the Hebrew, that would read the Aleph and the Toph. In Greek, that would read the Alpha and the Omega. When you're considering marriage, you don't need to be afraid if you follow God's principles because Jesus is the beginning and the ending of all things. Jesus created us. Jesus made us. Jesus gave us marriage. And if you put your faith in him, he's the beginning and he's also the happy ending of every marriage that people commit their lives to him with. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Enter soberly, enter wisely, but don't enter afraid. Let me say it again. Enter soberly, enter wisely, but don't enter afraid. And you might be thinking, well, shouldn't we be in love? Well, I'm going to deal with that if you'll just be patient. But enter soberly, and enter wisely, even if you're in love. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the mystery of God that you have revealed to us. I don't understand it all, but you are one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus, when you came to this earth and lived among us and died for our sins, you truly did show us what God was really like. And so therefore, we can approach you boldly. We can approach you, Lord, with assurance that the things that we pray and ask for, that God, you are more than able to do and that you were willing to do. And so I ask this morning that especially for those single adults in our church, our young people, our teenagers in this room, Lord, who are listening today, God, I pray that wisdom will enter their hearts. And I pray because, God, I know, I know, Lord, I stand up here week after week, sometimes two and three times a week. And I know that it's awfully hard to listen. And it only happens if you come, Jesus, and open our hearts and open our ears so that those who have ears will hear and believe and do the word and the works of God. So I'm asking you especially because I know that you want godly homes, that you will give us this incredible encounter with you this morning. It can't be explained in words, but we'll each know when it happens today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And like I said, I won't stay very long on any one point today. Well, the first thing I'd like you to know, and this is where I ended the message last week, it takes more than falling in love to stay in love. It takes more than falling in love to stay in love. Gary Chapman, whose book I recommended last week to you and said, the smart will really read this book. We went home after church last Sunday, and I said to Amy, Amy, what do smart people read? And she looked at me, and she says, the Bible? How are you going to argue with that? You know, she knew what I wanted, but she was being a little sassy pot, and she said, the Bible. And 
But I'll say it again, smart people will read that book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. But Gary Chapman uses an illustration of hunters, how they will dig a pit and they'll cover the pit with brush and they'll cover the pit with limbs and an animal is just trotting along doing his own thing and all of a sudden he falls through the pit and doesn't realize he's trapped and the hunter has bagged his game. Chapman says that's a lot of what it's like to be in love. I've been in love. Becky and I, I can remember when we were started dating, I loved everything about her. I loved the way she walked. I loved the way she talked. I loved the way she smelled. I loved her mama, her daddy, her two sisters. I loved everything about Rebecca Stewart. I just loved her, everything, you know. I even got a perfume and sprayed my pillow in college so when I went to sleep at night, I could smell her when I was sleeping at night. And my roommate, who is now the assistant district attorney for the state of Florida, he went and got his girlfriend's uh, perfume and sprayed it on his pillow. And we'd talk about these great dreams that were going to happen. And once in a while, when we get together, we laugh at all those things we talked about in college and how different reality is. Okay? See, when a couple comes into my office, one of the first questions I ask them, and I give them about 12 things that I want them, I tell them, I say, if you can't give me 12 reasons, you're not ready to get married. So I, I have this list. I say, give me 12 reasons that you're ready to get married. Some of you in this room, you've been through that with me. And the first thing they always say to me is, we're in love. And they look each other like two dying calves in a hellstorm, and they'll smile and they'll squeeze each other's hands and they'll say, Pastor, I know that you've said this before, but we really are. We're in love. And I believe them. I've been there. I've had those tingles crawl up and down my spine. I've lost my mind. I know what it means to be in love. But you see, studies show that being in love only lasts about two years, and then you've got to grow in love. And that's the difference. The Bible says, the Bible says that the person who doesn't grow in love remains in death. And so I asked this couple who's sitting in front of me that's in love, I asked them, I says, how do you know what love is? What do you mean when you tell me what love is? And it's kind of an unfair question because then these young people, sometimes grown adults, middle-aged adults, and occasionally the few senior citizens that come to me and ask me, and there's some of you in here that I've done your marriages, and they'll say, what do you mean by being in love? And it's a tough question. It's an unfair question because all of a sudden people have to grapple because we've got the tingles. We love everything about them. We love the way they smell, the way they talk, the way they look, the way... There's nothing wrong with them. And it's because you see them at their very best, okay? And you see them at that point and you're in love. And then we begin this long process of going through 12 weeks of premarital counseling. This week I was talking to a young person, a young adult, and we're talking about marriage. And uh, she told me some things about wanting to get married and how do you know? And I began to talk to her about what we required at Woodland of 12 weeks of getting of premarital counseling and how it prepares them to get married. And she looked at me and she says, oh, we need that. She says, we, we really don't know each other. And I thought, how wise and how smart this girl is to look at me, this young woman, this, this graduate student to say to me, we really don't know each other it takes a lot of wisdom to recognize before you get married, you don't really know each other yet. 
But getting married has this incredible way of bringing us together. You see, being in love is an emotional and it's an obsessive experience. It's the same thing that happens sometimes with affairs that breaks up marriages because those affairs are typically emotional and obsessive experiences that draw you away where maybe you've lost those tingles. Maybe you've lost that spark in your marriage. Maybe you've lost that what you once had and you haven't been growing in love you're still committed to the marriage. You're still committed to the children. You're still committed to the same checking account or financial accounts. You're still committed to one another, but you're not in love. And what happens is you grow apart rather than growing in love. And growing in love will keep you from growing apart because growing apart will result, as the Bible says, of dying. And so it's so important that we understand how we grow in love. Number two, I'd say take it slow, but not too slow. If you believe that you're in love and if you're wanting to get married, take it slow, but don't take it too slow. Jesus was talking to a woman one time and she told him, she says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right, you're telling the truth. You don't have a husband, but you've already been married five times. The man you're now living with isn't your husband. Here was a woman like some in our congregation before you met Christ. You've had multiple marriage experiences. Your heart's been broken. Your life's been shattered. Your children have been shattered. You've gone through things that have just ripped you apart. And maybe it was because you didn't take it slow enough because there is uh, nothing, there is nothing, let me say it again, there is nothing in our culture except for the church that says to you today, slow down. It is just simply foolish. It is simply unwise. I want to use a stronger word, but Becky is in here. It is foolish to share a bed until first of all, you truly know one another and you're willing to commit to each other in the holy bonds of matrimony. Somebody ought to give the Lord a hand of praise right there. You see, I introduced two words last week to this congregation. I don't use a lot of words like this, but we talked about marriage being a transcendent and a metaphysical experience. Metaphysical being beyond, it's more, as the Bible says, sex is more than skin on skin. It's transcendent because God is a part of a Christian home. And when you meet someone and you begin to grow in love with them and you feel like I'm in love and I want to get married, go ahead, go ahead if both of you are agreeing and get into premarital counseling. Get into the premarital counseling where we can help you explore, where we can help you take time to get to know each other and follow up. It is just simply not the best course of action to come to us six weeks before your wedding, one month before your wedding, and say, we want to get married. Can we get our counseling? And ask us to cram 12 weeks of wisdom into your mind over a weekend or in a month. You need longer than the 12 weeks. You need six months to really process that. So take it slow, but don't take it too slow to where all of a sudden you find your saying, we don't have time for this, and you want to go ahead and get married. I've told you the story before of the man who told me, he says, I've already been married four times. I don't need counseling. I know what marriage is all about. What a dummy. <laughs> what a dummy, okay? You need to know these things. Number three, make sure you're grown up before you're hitched up. 
Make sure you're grown up before you head stop. And next week, I'll, again, I'll provide these for you on a laminated card so you can have them if you'd like them. The Bible says God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. <clears throat> we take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. Look at me real carefully right now. I want you to hear me, especially if you're single this morning. You want to know that the person that you're marrying has grown up. You don't want to raise a wife. You don't want to raise a husband. Once in a while, a man will say to me, well, I married her when she was young and I raised her like I wanted her to be. He has no idea what his wife tells me in private. Okay? The obsessiveness, the controllingness, the demandingness, the domineering. You want to make sure the person that you marry has grown up, and you want to be sure that you're grown up because when you marry, as one young person wrote me this week, one young couple wrote me this week from our church and says, Pastor, you told us it takes two adults to be married. We didn't know how true those words really are. And in the first service this morning, they thanked me again for that. You want to be sure that that you're marrying a mature individual. Number four, be self-aware and confident of who you are in Christ. Be self-aware. There's a huge difference between being self-aware and being self-conscious. When you're self-aware, you know who you are, you know your strengths, you know your weaknesses, you know your spiritual gifts, you know your talents, you know your personality type, you know how to handle yourself when you're self-aware. But when you're self-conscious, you're always worried about what the other person is thinking about you. Am I wearing the right clothes? Do I look all right? Is my hair all right? Do they think I'm dressed appropriate for the occasion? Do they like my personality? Am I smiling big enough? Nobody cares. Can I say it again? Nobody cares. Nobody cares what you're wearing. Nobody cares what you look like. Nobody cares about your smile. They all care about their smile and what they're wearing in their clothes. Hello? You see, being self-aware is walking into a room and you know who you are already and you're confident of who you are and how Christ has made you. And you walk in and you seek to affirm other people. You seek to encourage other people. You seek to come alongside of them and make that little bit of time in their life a better experience because you've been there. And you can do that because you are confident in Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is is in the world. God gives you a Christ confidence that you know you can walk into a room and you can be a blessing to the people you meet. And if you're not being a blessing to the people you meet, maybe you need to get your mind off yourself, get your mind on Jesus and what other, where other people are hurting and what they need and what they're interested in for a change. And all the wise among us said, because in a marriage, your wife wants to know that you care about what she thinks. Your wife wants to know that you're confident in who you are and that you want to help her. Your husband wants to know that you're confident in who you are and you want to bless his life as well. And I can't say that enough. Be confident. Here's that metaphysical transcendent. Those two words. Here's that metaphysical experience I'm talking about. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 1.30. God has united you with Christ Jesus. Read that with me. God has united you with Christ Jesus. Now, would you read that like people who really believe that? And that's exciting. I mean, when I read that, that is just like kick my leg, shout, come on victory, okay? 
God has united you with Christ Jesus. That's not a hope so. That's not a thing that you just go, oh yeah, that's a fact. You are united to Christ. I am united to Christ. And when a couple marries in Christ, together we have this metaphysical experience. There is more to mine and Becky's life. There's more to your lives and our lives as a church. There's more to our lives together as the body of Christ than just our being here. The Lord is with us and we are united with Christ forever and ever and no one can snatch us out of his hand. Somebody give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. For our benefit, God made him, Jesus, to be wisdom itself. And Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. And he freed us from sin. So if you want to know who you are, and you don't have to write these down, I'll provide all these for you because I've got to read them quickly. But here's some questions maybe to think about to discover who you are, being self-aware and being confident. Who's the most important person in your life? And Why? Now, before you say Jesus, think about human beings around you for a change. Who's the most important? And why is that person so important? Because then you begin to know who you are and whose opinions you value. Who makes you the angriest and why? And all of us have somebody in our life that's like sandpaper, right? It's not their fault. It's just who they are. Who makes you the angriest? Who makes you the happiest? And why do they make you happy? Who makes you feel the most loved? When you're with them, you just feel bathed in love in their presence. What's the most important thing in your life? Becky, what bores you? News. My family is always saying to me, Dad, not the news again. <laughs> Are any of you like me? You're just like newsaholics. You just got to know what's going on in the world. There's a few of us in here, just junkies. You know, we admit it. It just got to know, you know, it's a discipline for me to get up in the morning and have my devotions first because I always want to click on and see what the paper says and what the TV news says. But, you know, it's, a, it's an act of discipline. I'm not going to look at that until after I've had my devotions because once I get sucked in, it's like a vortex. You know, some of you, Facebook is like that. You know, you get started with Facebook or Twitter. How important is money to you? And how much time do you spend thinking about it? That's important to know who you are and who the person you're going to marry. What are your three biggest interests in life? I mean, that's important. The person you marry needs to know what that is. Are you emotionally healthy? And how could you improve? And what is the role of conflict in your life? What kind of family did you grow up in? How did you handle conflict? How do you handle conflict today? Those are important questions to help you discover who you are and be confident of who you are, but also to get to know the person that you think you want to marry. Number five, hugely, hugely important, know your family tree. Know your family tree. Honey, can I have some water? Know your family tree. I think this is so important because, thank you, it's true. I, I brought this out to you last week. 80, look at me now, don't talk. Look at me, stop writing. You said, Pastor, you've never talked to us like that before. That's because I've never told you something as important as I'm going to tell you right now. There is so much truth to what I told you last week. 85% of everything you know about marriage, you learned from your parents. We only have about 15% 
we can input into your lives in that counseling. We will give you the tools. Listen, we will give you the tools to build a godly, holy, loving, joyful, and happy home. We will not give you a godly, joyful, happy home. We will give you the tools to build a godly, holy, healthy, happy home. And you've got to know your family tree, and you need to learn about the family tree of the person you're marrying, because there is truth, truth, truth to what you think is a myth, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. And over and over, as I get older, my family says to me, they'll say, you're so much like daddy. Becky will say to me, you're just like your daddy. Sometimes my kids will go, all right, Papa Buford, you, you know, they just, you just, you're, be, you're, you're, you're shaped by the people who made you. And so it's important to know that. Now, before that scares you, look at this next verse. As the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is righteous. There's no such thing as the perfect family. No one is righteous. I don't believe Jesus, and I've heard preachers, I've heard people say it with such anger in their voice. I've heard it in Starbucks here locally. Somebody was talking to someone, and I couldn't help but hear, but they just said, listen to me, all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And they pounded the table when they said that because they wanted this person to get the point. They meant well. They, they meant well, their heart was in the right place, and they were really trying to do what they thought Jesus wanted them to do. But rather than draw this person to Christ, they were pushing this person away from Christ. They meant well. I believe the way Jesus would have said this was is with such sadness and brokenness in his heart that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why I'm headed to Calvary, so that you can be united with me and your sins can be forgiven. Friends, understand, this is good news for us to know. There are no righteous people, no perfect people. It is only in Christ that we find forgiveness and become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So know the family tree, especially if you're marrying someone that says they're a Christian because they got baptized when they were a baby and they had no clue what baptism meant. And especially if they say, I'm a Christian because, you know, I believe in God, their faith experience may be totally different than your faith experience. And that is more important than what you know. Romans 12, 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. How does your family love? love each other? How does your family honor each other? How do your brothers and sisters, your, your, your mom and dad's aunts and uncles, your mom and dad's brothers and sisters, your aunts and uncles, how do they honor? How do they take delight in honoring one another? I can tell you this, it is one of the most important things I can say to you in this message. Know the family tree. And also look at this, Jesus said in Matthew 25 and verse 40, and the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. 
Is the family that you're marrying in, are you the kind of person that you look at other people and you treat them with love and you treat them with respect? If the man or the woman that you're dating treats the waiter in the restaurant or the waitress in the restaurant or treats the person when you go out on a date that helps you, treats them with disdain or acts like they're better or thinks of other people who are not as educated as you are or is not as wealthy as you are or doesn't have the things that you have, if they look down upon them they're telling you a lot about their family tree and how they treat people and how they will treat you when after the two years of being in love is faded away and you got to do the difficult work of growing in love because that in love fades away and then we all have to grow in love. Somebody say amen this morning. And then look at this passage. I remember your genuine faith for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. Moms and dads, I cannot stress it enough. Have family altars with your kids. Do not say to me, I don't have time. Do not say to me, I don't know how. We have provided resource after resource. Stop being lazy and stop caring about yourself so much. Start having a family time, a prayer with your children. You want to build of faith in them that will remain. You don't want a heartache of seeing your child wander away from the faith and turn their back on God and you die not knowing whether or not they're ready to meet the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I hear, and I'm at that point in life where I just, I don't deal well with these excuses and whiny hineys anymore. If you're not praying with your kids at home, don't expect them to be concerned about youth ministry. Don't expect them to be concerned about children's ministry. And don't expect them to share the faith that you sit here in this pew professing to have unless you're modeling it before them and loving them. Is it difficult? Of course it's difficult. But you can have a five-minute devotional with your children and pray with them before they go to bed at night and remind them of your love and God's love for them and see them have the same kind of faith that young Timothy had. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? Be sure you know who you are agreeing to marry. Be sure you know who you are agreeing to marry. Who is this man that you're going to commit your life to? You're going to stand here in front of me and you're going to say, you know, until death do us part. Do you have any idea what that means? You're going to stand here and you're going to say, because you're in love. And being in love, you got the tingles. She does everything right. He does everything right. And you've got your mind, not on the 15-minute sermon that I'm going to give for your marriage. You've got your mind on the wedding nights. And you go, for better, for worse. It's just not fair. <laughs> you don't know what you're saying yet. So you need to know who this person is that you're marrying. The Bible says three things cause the earth to tremble. Even four it cannot bear up under. A slave when he becomes a king. A godless fool when he is filled with food. A woman who is in love when she gets married. And a maid when she replaces her mistress. What's he talking about? He's talking about in three of these pride filling the heart. 
He's talking about in one of them, a woman who gets married, and yet the husband really doesn't love her. He has used her, and he takes advantage of her. God says the earth cannot bear up underneath that. So it's important that you know the person that you're marrying and who you're agreeing to marry. We deal a lot with that and helping you in our premarital counseling. Number seven, have realistic expectations. Get real, be real, have some realistic expectations. The man who wrote this, I have heard a lot about this this week. I have hundreds of these text messages and they're all so good. But the number one thing I heard from men was about, was about sex. The number two thing I heard from men about was about money. Friends, listen to this. The number one thing I heard from women about was hurt. Number one thing I heard from women was about hurt. Is I took each of these and put them into a spreadsheet and categorized them. It is why it's important that you have realistic expectations about what marriage has been. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 11, your heart's been in the right place all along. You've got what it takes to finish up, so go to it. Do you remember what I shared with you where Jesus said, don't be afraid, I am the first and the last? Now listen, this is important. When you go through premarital counseling with us and we walk you through what it means for better, for worse, when we walk you through what it means to get married, one of the things that we want to leave you with is you've got the tools, you've got the wisdom, you've got workbooks, you've got your church, you've got small groups. We'll connect you with counselors, we'll connect you with it because at some point all of us will need some help in our marriage. But we try to get you to set realistic expectations. When I talk to guys alone, I say, okay, tell me, tell me about sex. What are you expecting in sex? And I said, don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Tell me what you really are hoping. And always I hear, oh, we're going to make love seven or eight times a week. And I go, great. I hope it works out that way for you. And when I tell them great, they open up and they go, well, really, if you want me to really be honest with you, and then it's just and I go, that's unrealistic right there, you know? And then when I talk to ladies, I hear them talk about how we're going to have these nights at home. It's going to be quiet. It's going to be alone and intimacy and candles and romantic dinners that they're going to have. And I say, how many times a week is that going to happen? Oh, we're going to, that's going to happen at least a couple of nights. We're going to be different than our mom and dad. My mom and dad never do that. We're going to be different. How do you know you're going to be different? And then they tell me, I say, okay, in a year, you're going to fix dinner for Becky and I because we're going to come and we're going to go over all these things together. Guess what? Their expectations after one year are realistic. Every time. Someone who said, oh, pastor, I can't believe I even said that to you. I said, I know it's not fair, but it's fun. I love what I do. It's fun. I know it's not fair, but what I'm trying to help you get to the point is have some, your heart's in the right place. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. You can have a godly. You can have a holy. You can have a happy. You can have a joyful. You can have a wonderful marriage if you refuse to give up and marry the right person. Hallelujah.
And number eight, marry someone who's emotionally and mentally healthy. And when Becky comes up, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Marry someone who's emotionally and mentally healthy. Think of yourselves, listen now, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. When I finished sharing this with one young man wanting to get married, he looked at me and says, Pastor, that's not fair. That's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Pastor, you're not Jesus. Oh, that's true. That's true. But look at that first line again. Think of yourself the way Christ thought of himself. You're not ready to get married, sir, unless you're willing to love that way. You're not ready to get married unless you're willing to grow into that kind of love. It's a special love. It's a mature love. It's an incredible love. But it's a love, whether you're married or single, it's a love that every follower of Jesus Christ is called to embrace. It's a love whether you're American or African. It's a love whether you're European or Chinese. It's a love that we are all called to to think of ourselves. And there's no way I can be that on my own. There's no way you can be that on your own. And I share this with young couples. But when you ask the Lord daily to make you more like Jesus, to shape your thinking, there is this metaphysical, there is this transcendent experience, something beyond our natural flesh, something beyond this natural world. We are united with Christ and God answers prayers. And each day he helps us become a little bit more like Jesus. We are not sinless, but as we grow in Christ, we sin less and less and less and less. Somebody give him another hand of praise this morning. You see, love like this chooses, love like this chooses to give itself to give of itself, to share from itself, to share from its heart so that other people are blessed and benefited as a result rather than always looking to be blessed or benefited. And we love people the way Christ loves us. This is how we love each other regardless of how they perform. That's what we mean for better or for what happens if your wife gets into an automobile accident and is paralyzed from the waist down. What happens if your husband has a stroke and doesn't regain his physical and mental abilities? Oh, but pastor, God wants me to be happy. You know he wants me to be happy. I can't stand this. I'm not happy. There's a theological word for that. It's called baloney. (laughs) You will never know happiness trying to find happiness. You will only know happiness living in the holiness of God because love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and long-suffering, happiness, it all flows out of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. Number nine, marry the best. 
but don't hold out for the perfect. Marry the best, but don't hold out for the perfect. There's just not, it, that person just doesn't exist. Summing it up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job to bless. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. Whoever wants to be embraced life and see the day fill up with good, here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful. Snub evil. Cultivate good. Run after peace for all your worth. God looks on all of this with approval. Listening and responding well. Say that with me. Listening and responding well. Who? God. Listening and responding well to what he's asked but he turns his back on those who do evil things. There is no perfect man. There is no perfect woman. There is no perfect church. But you can hold out for the best. God says you're worth more than just any old person that comes along and wants to hook up with you. Hold out for the best. You will never regret it. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? It's real simple. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. There is no one right person. Think about that. Somebody wrote me the other day and says, do you believe, Pastor, there's just one right person for you to marry? And obviously they haven't been coming to our church very long. And I go, no, because if one person makes a mistake, the whole thing falls apart. There is no one right person, but there are the right kind of men and women. Amen. Amen? Number 10, forgiveness is a decision. Forgiveness doesn't depend on how I feel. Forgiveness is a decision. And I really, this is one of those things I wish I had really understood better when Becky and I got married is because we were so in love and when we had some of those first conflicts and we had to forgive, man, there were times when I was like, why does that still bother me? What is that, if I've, I've forgiven, why does that still bother me? When you forgive someone, it doesn't erase the memory. It doesn't erase the pain. You forgave because it hurt. How many of you think Calvary hurt Jesus? Huh? Remember those words, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? To be hurt causes emotional pain and suffering. But it doesn't mean that you can't forgive. And it doesn't mean that God will not heal you. And it doesn't mean that at times memories won't come back and hurt you. It doesn't mean at times things, that's why openness is so important before you get married. It's why we take you through these counseling sessions. It's why it's important that you learn to talk with one another because there's going to be hurt in marriage, in prayer. Again, here's this metaphysical, transcendent thing. In prayer, there's this connection between God, what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Number 11, the foundation. You need to know the foundation for great sex. This is not a message on sex. I'll be real brief with this point. But I am preaching a message on this series that I want every young person in our church to hear, a PG message on sex. It won't be like the ones that we do at our marriage retreats, but you want your young people. Church is the only place they're going to learn about what God says and thinks about sex. Let me say again, church is the only place where they're going to learn and hear what God has to say about sex. And you would be surprised 
how many comments that I got about sex. Not all were just funny like the one guy that wrote me. It's important. Stop giggling. (laughs) It's important that they have a good foundation. I want to tell you, I want to take your kids and youth through what the Bible says. Listen to what the Word of God says. It is good for a man to have a wife. Amen. Every man in the church ought to say amen right there. Let me read that again. It is good for a man to have a wife. And for a woman to have a husband. (laughs) Took you a while, but you got there. (laughs) Sexual drives are strong. Oh, you're dead. (laughs) Our liars won. (laughs) We're going to have a healing service right after this, Pastor Rick. (laughs) Sexual drives are strong. Wow. (laughs) But... (laughs) marriage is strong enough to contain them. Listen to that. But marriage is strong enough to contain them. So when somebody says, I can't help myself, you're just a liar. I mean, you're a big, fat liar. Marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced, that's three meals a day, a balanced That's delusional right there. (laughs) I am going to be in so much trouble. (laughs) I provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Now, when I walked through Corinth a number of years ago, before I became your pastor, I did a two-week teaching series for the Assemblies of God in Greece. Corinth was a very pornographic, very immoral culture. Just stunning. I mean, I, I felt like dirty just looking at some of the things that today are called art. But it was a very sexually disordered society. It was thought natural. Many of the things that people are saying today that are so immoral and so corrupt, That and worse was thought natural in Corinth, just to give you an idea. Corinth would make American sexual mores blush. So Paul is writing in a world to people who had become Christians. This wasn't a Jewish church. This was a Gentile church. He was walking, writing to a church that had no idea of what it meant to be sexually faithful to a wife or a husband. And so you need a foundation that the Word of God provides. And notice what I said there. Can you put the point back up, please? For, not, that, not the Scripture, the point. For great sex. You see, whatever God does, He does good. And whatever God does, He does right. And the way God created us with all of the sensual pleasure that we're able to enjoy in marriage It's why Paul would also say it's more than skin on skin. Somehow or another, our love for our wives and our husbands, it brings such glory to God. But you see, the important thing is that we understand what does God say about it? 
Because there's a lot of truth to that saying that men are like microwaves and women are like crockpots. Men, you know, we just, it's the active intimacy that we've got our minds on. You just look at us right away and we go, hubba, hubba, hubba. You know, we're, we're ready. We're just now. And ladies are like crockpots. You know, it starts in the morning with a tender kiss and a rub on the back. You know, next week, I'll, you know, I told you I'd be preaching about bedrooms, living rooms, bathrooms, and dining rooms. You want to be here for that message. But you see, the, the whole deal is so different. And unless we understand how one another, God has wired us up. You see, when a lady told me this this week, she says, my husband doesn't understand that for me, foreplay is more important than when we have sex. I looked at that. I typed. I understand. Him. <laughs> but I know from experience what you're talking about. Parenthesis, I learned the hard way. <laughs> then I hit delete and didn't send it. <laughs> you see, you've got to understand there is this foundation that is so important, and we'll deal with that. And then number 12, and Becky, if you'll come up and join me here on the platform, marry someone who is a passionate follower of Christ. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness. Give my wife a hand as she joins me here on the platform this morning. You are in so much trouble. <laughs> I'm not coming next week. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pull our chairs up a little bit here. I like it when I'm in trouble. Because making up is fun to do. Your turn. You just <laughs> You're seeing our marriage in action right here. One of the ladies after first service this morning said to me, walking out the door, you should never read romance novels before you get married. She said, that's what you think marriage is going to be like. She said, you should wait about five years and then they become a comedy. Oh. <laughs> Did you agree with that? I'm not telling you. Okay. <laughs> What, when we were dating, we were, you and I, we had devotions every morning. We did. We went to the chapel every morning at Southeastern, and then we went and had breakfast together, and then we went to college, went to our classes. So we typically, we got together every morning about 6 o'clock, 6.30. And um, we began our marriage, I think, on a really good foot, but there was so much we didn't know and nobody told us, right? Yeah. So... Talk to our church family about that and our premarital counseling experience. <laughs> when we went for our premarital counseling with our, our, we grew up together as children and, and our pastor, when we were both children, did our wedding, he and my dad, and his premarital counseling to us was about 20 minutes and he basically said, you know, um, there'll be times somebody else will turn your head and that's normal and, you know, just turn your attention back to each other. And, well, you two have been to Bible college, so you know what it's all about. I went back a few weeks ago and read some of our love letters 
We didn't have a clue. <laughs> Do we have realistic expectations? Absolutely not. <laughs> Life were, was going to be perfect. Were we in love? Absolutely. <laughs> Did we have to grow in love? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I hear that over and over from people who get married and then they have problems in the marriage. And I think this is important to hear. Marriage ceremony only lasts from start to finish, only lasts 45 minutes to an hour. Only lasts 45 minutes to an hour and then you have to go spend a lifetime together and to build that marriage. And it's why we ask you to spend 12 weeks in premarital counseling with us to help you prepare for that. What was some expectations of ours that had to adjust? I think I looked at everybody around me that had problem marriages, and I thought, well, we'll never do that. You know, life will never be like that for us because we've got it all figured out. Uh, we never fought ever, ever. when we were dating. When never we were had dating. a conflict. Uh, we saved it up for one big one after we got married. I just always <laughs> agreed with you. <laughs> I learned not to throw knives when you get angry. For those of you who don't know the story, I made Becky mad one time. One time? <laughs> <laughs> How many of you got a junk drawer in your house? How many of you despise the junk drawer? Can I see your hand? Okay, you're among, I'm among some friends. We never had a junk drawer growing up in my house, and Becky had a junk drawer, and that just drove me crazy. So one day I just dumped it all out and says, you need to clean this up. All of a sudden, whizzing past my ear was a knife. A real knife, not a butter knife, not a plastic knife. We still have the knife. I learned to fear God, and I learned to fear Becky. And you never dumped my drawer out I never dumped. We still have a junk drawer. What were we even talking about? Realistic expectations. We didn't have any. <laughs> We, we started our marriage deeply in love. We'd known each other all of our lives. We knew, we knew it was the right thing. But we started our marriage and we started ministry at the same time. And, and I cannot emphasize to you how important being open is. And listen to me. You need to be open about everything. You don't conceal. You don't hide anything it will come out in a marriage. And that sense of betrayal when it comes out in a marriage is deep and it's hurtful. So I, I talked to Becky about everything, what my disabilities meant, what it could mean to my life expectancy, I, you know, what it meant my health and everything. And um, so we entered marriage with her having to learn to live with someone who has disabilities. We started ministry in a church that was on the verge of splitting. We didn't know that. Former minister had had an affair. Um, the church was just a bundle of, of, of nerves. And, but we were also trying to start and build a marriage together. And we were living in the church building. Yeah. Yeah. What was, tell, tell them a little bit about our experiences there and how we had to learn. And I, your father was a pastor. Yeah. And I have never pastored like your father. That was an adjustment too. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, that first year especially, I think neither one of us anticipated how many things there would be adjustments for. For us, not only just um, normal marriage stuff, but we had to learn how to be in ministry and the demands that put on our lives, um, the lack of privacy, the lack of, you know, we kind of set some boundaries. We talked about it early on in our marriage. What are we going to talk about in public? What, you know, when you go out with your friends, there were some things that we just made a point we were never going to joke about, we were never going to talk about. There were things that would just be between us and not between me and my girlfriends and you and your buds. And I think that's important to set some privacy parameters. Remember one of the things, one of the quotes on the screen that came from one of my friends this week was, there are some things that belong just between a husband and a wife. Exactly. Yeah. How do we manage to successfully do that? I mean, and we did. We were successful. How do we manage to do that? I think the most important thing was you and I as individuals were both committed to Christ and were committed to giving our life to ministry. Mm-hmm. That if either one of us had been gone, the other one would still be in ministry and still be involved in giving our lives to Christ. That was the most important thing. And I think secondly that, you know, we realized early on, you know what, we're not perfect and we don't have it figured out, but this relationship is the most valuable thing we have outside of our relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. Our relationship together. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the things that I share with Becky, I didn't know how to share it with Becky, and... um, it wasn't until later, even though I, you know, when I went to work in mental health, that helped me a lot. That explained a lot. But after we got married and realized what a significant impact my disabilities would have on our marriage, I began to question not her love, but I began to question whether she could stay with me in the long run. And I didn't know how to process that. And when you grow up in a Pentecostal background, it's, it's, you don't admit weakness. You don't admit you've got a problem. You just, you know, you don't have a problem. You just need more faith in God. You just, you just need to trust God. And, and I heard all this kind of stuff all the time, so I didn't know who to talk to or how to talk to anybody. And I didn't realize that it was making me pull away from you? How did you handle, because it was years later that I shared with you that, how did you handle that? (laughs) You said you didn't think that there was one perfect person in the world. I always believed you were my perfect person. And it didn't matter what we had to work through that we were together and we would work through it. Uh, I think it was important to understand, having shared that with you, there are going to be times that you don't know how to talk about what's troubling you. There are going to be times 
in a marriage, you don't know how to process it. You don't know how to even put the words to it. And a huge mistake I didn't know I was making, I thought I was doing the right thing. It was working in mental health that helped me begin to see when people found a counselor, when people found someone they could talk to and they would just listen to. And I sat in so many counseling experiences where I heard the psychiatrist not even say a thing, but I hear you. I understand. And people just poured their hearts out. Don't withdraw from your mate because of fear. Don't let the devil get the victory like that. Jesus said, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. What you started with, with your good intentions, I will help you complete it for my name's sake. Amen. Let's give him a hand of praise for that. Let's get this back on track. When we've had disagreements, have we handled that? And you can share whatever you want to there. Um, We had to learn how to have a good fight (laughs) and not throw things. Um, By the way, I never threw anything. (laughs) Scared to. You asked me last week, what's, what's one of the things you wish you'd known about marriage? And I said to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had to apologize for something that didn't come out of my mouth. I have had to apologize for a lot of things that did come out of my mouth. And I think one of the things you learn in a relationship is how to communicate. There are times that um, I'm too angry. I need to wait until I calm down and then think through and not speak out of my anger because there's never been a resolution. And I'm just the opposite. I want to talk it through. Yeah. And that's been some balance. We we were talking this week about things in our future and dreams and, and he was like, do we want to do this? And it's like, yes, let's do it. So he takes out his pencil and paper and he starts drawing a mind map. You know, okay, why are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? It was We're, beautiful. And it was I'm a like, work of art. you know what? Just put it away. Let's just do it. <laughs> and he's like, I can't do that. But I will say this. Through the years, my, my personality is, we've got a challenge. All right, let's take it. Let's do it. Let's go for it. But there has always been a security for me to jump into things and to go for new things because I knew you had done the mind maps. You had already thought out, how are we going to do this? How's it going to happen? When are we going to... You had already done those things in your mind so that I knew when you came to me and said, I know this is something we need to do or this is our next step, that it wasn't just an emotional thing. But I think learning our different personalities... Because there have been times that, that maybe the mind map didn't work, but something in my heart was saying, we can do this. You know, we can make this happen. One of the things I think about is our adoptions. Mm-hmm. You know, we literally had attorneys sit down with us and say, you don't make enough money to adopt children. It costs a lot to go through an adoption process. 
We had, you know, I have a file at home of rejection letters from adoption agencies because you had health issues, because we didn't make enough money, because, you know, there weren't enough babies available, and God gave us four. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those times that the mind map didn't work, but our hearts knew, and you keep pushing. It was in that time we were pastoring, we took a church that um, had split five times. And it was, it had a, two loans, one at 24% interest and one at 21% interest. And uh, there was, with Becky and I, there was 21 people there. And we built a business and we built a church at the same time and renegotiated and retired a ton of money from that, that debt load. But it was also during that time our marriage suffered because you had to pull me up, you know. We adopted Andrew, and then we adopted Christopher, and that's when you told me I was more in love with ministry and success. <laughs> Tell them about that. And oh, boy. Um, ministry is a whole different ball game when you when you add that into a marriage mix. And... That is such a love of your heart and such, such an intense calling that sometimes in a, ministry, in a ministry family, it's easy to get sidetracked. But not only ministry, but I have seen husbands and wives through the years, either one of them, that their career became the priority. And it took a lot emotionally for me to work through getting up the courage to say to you, you're more in love with the church right now than you are the family. Because um, I didn't know what doors that would open, you know, how you would react, how you would feel about that. Um, it would help to know right here too, I'm very type A, very, Becky's very type B. And, and so there's truth, opposites attract, opposites attract, and you have to understand and celebrate that about each other. They attract, but they also balance. Yeah. Um, but it took a lot to say, this is an area we need to make an adjustment, and thankfully you responded to that. And it, it Not was... well at first. <laughs> I mean, because I, I felt like I did love you and, and the kids Mm -hmm. you know, more than anything in this world. It was during that time that we sat down and we set some parameters. Yeah. And one of the best things we did was we said Thursday night is going to be our family night and we're not going to go out, we're not going to invite people over. That's going to be a night that we spend with each other and with our children and we've done that for 40 years now. Mm -hmm. And that has been a lifeline for our family. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta close, but is there one thing you would wanna tell everybody or share with everybody that you think would be important before you get married or anything else you'd wanna share? If you're already married, sign up for the marriage retreat. People always say, are you supposed to go to marriage retreat if you're having problems? No, you go to marriage retreat because you wanna keep growing. And what I would say to couples getting ready to get married is recognize that it's going to be a growth. And if the two of you grow together in this relationship, 
your personal relationship with God and your relationship with each other, this can be the most wonderful journey you've ever been on in your life. It can. And I'll say it again. The church is the only place in our culture that is really our parachurch ministries that are evangelical. It's the only place in our culture that is really stressing how to have a good and a happy home. The studies show that couples who sleep together before they get married, their marriages collapse five times quicker. The couples, the studies that show that couples that are living together, the woman suffers abuse more often. Friends, God doesn't want you unhappy. God didn't create you to be unhappy. God created you to have a joyful, fulfilling, godly life and to come to the end of your life saying, Lord, this has really been good. There may be struggles, but it's really been good. And I think the thing that has surprised me most about marriage, and I told you this in the first service, I never had any idea. I knew I loved you, but I never had any idea how incredibly happy I would be after 41 years of marriage. I'm telling you, it gets better and better. Give Becky a hand. Thanks for helping me, honey. Ushers, if you would come, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. I couldn't do this in the first service, but if, especially if you're a young adult, and it doesn't just have to be a young adult, anybody, but if, if you'd like to talk after the service, I'll, after I greet people this morning, I'll stay here till the cows come home. I would love to talk to you about marriage. If you'd want to know more about our premarital counseling, please see Pastor Rick. We can get you signed up for premarital counseling. If your marriage is having struggles, then would you also see us? We can either help you here or we can point you to some place where you can get help. And I would also suggest this. Um, When this message is posted this week, I'd listen to it again. I'd listen to it three or four times. And if you haven't read that book yet, The Smart will read the five love languages. It's one of the most impactful books that I've ever read when it came to understanding marriage and understanding people as well. So, let's stand, let's pray, and um, let's get ready to give. If you're giving digitally, you can join me. And Somebody just sent me a text message and says, stand up straighter. So, I hope I'm pleasing you right now. <laughs> Jesus, we love you. We thank you. God, we ask you that you would receive our tithes and offerings. I don't give, Lord, to earn your blessings. I give because you said the first 10% belongs to you. Matter of fact, you said it all belongs to you, but you give me the choice of knowing and how to use that other 90%. I give, Lord, because you've taught me to fear you. And because, Lord, I stand here as a witness to everyone who's even going to listen on the web. God, this gift of marriage has been wonderful. And I have no regrets, only the deepest gratitude for what you've done in my life for what you did for us at Calvary and for it being good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband.
I give you thanks, Lord, for everyone here today. God, you know my heart. I hate using words like metaphysical and transcendent. But I pray that everyone here will realize that in the body of Christ, there is this beyond this physical dimension where we are united with Christ. The blood of Jesus is upon our lives. Your Holy Spirit lives within us. And yet, God, there's a dimension where we are united together in Christ. And an even deeper dimension where Becky and I are united together in Christ as well as every other husband and wife. Give us godly homes. Make us the salt and light of our community, I pray. In Jesus' holy name. And everybody agreed, said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Becky, will you join me at the back, sweetheart?